Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Welcome to our listeners across the country, and now I see from my board that we have some international callers. Uh, interesting. This is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, October 29, 2015. Tonight we have Stephen P. Wright, which is a great name for a lawyer, as our guest. Uh, Mr. Wright is a lawyer in Connecticut home to much of the financial industry, and he is doing quite a bit in his practice on foreclosure defense. We'll be talking about those issues in Connecticut, which is one of the hubs of the financial industry. So you can imagine he's had challenging times there. Uh, first, an announcement. This Saturday, October 31st, 2015, a new seminar is being hosted by the Rodriguez Law Group and the USC Dornsife Trial Advocacy Program entitled Litigation Techniques, Critiques, and Strategies under SB, 8, SB 900 in California, Federal Regulations, Securitization, and Rescission. It is a foreclosure defense seminar, six hours of CLE for the lawyers in California. Might qualify for the accountants as well. Other states vary on CLE credits. The instructors are attorney Patricia Rodriguez, who many of you know as a guest on my program, and attorney George M. Hill. I recommend it. The event is at the Taper Hall Auditorium, room 301, 3518 Truesdale Parkway, University Park, California, 90089. For more information, you can see the blog uh, from yesterday uh, and the link for the Rodriguez Seminar 2015. And for those of you who know something about bills and notes, I'll repeat my challenge from last week. Uh, you can think about this question. In the entire history of the foreclosure mess, why has nobody ever claimed to be a holder in due course, which is the highest rank anybody could have in the world of commercial paper? My answer, of course, is that banks don't have anyone who fits the description of an actual creditor who paid money for the paper in good faith and without knowledge of the borrower's defenses. And that's why we 
have seen so much paper on top of paper instead of the banks showing us the actual transactions where money exchanged hands. They have people holding all kinds of paper, but nobody who ever paid for the principal of the so-called loan. Where's the money? Where did it come from? Where did it come? Think about it. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. As for the guests that I've had on, I've had some questions about this. None of them pay anything to appear on this show, and I take nothing and neither do does any entity associated with me in connection with their appearance or any uh, clients or customers that they have as a result of the appearance here. Living Lies, with 11 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much information as we can without charge as we can uh, to help homeowners and other consumers who may not be aware of the effect the housing crisis has had. And by the way, I think that both the Democrats and the Republicans have missed the whole point about the economy. The economy is weak because the consumer sector is weak, and the consumer sector is weak because of the loss of wealth there, and the loss of wealth is directly attributed to the housing crisis. If household debt was reduced, the consumers would have greater strength to, to make purchases, and the economy would again be on firm footing. And we are succeeding in our mission as more and more lawyers across the country smell blood in the water as they realize that there is a winning strategy in both foreclosure, defense, and rescission. And by the way, speaking of rescission, I know of a dozen cases where the judge has reserved ruling, and it's been like six weeks now, in one case, uh, they don't seem to want to rule. They obviously don't like the result and they obviously don't know if they have any choice. There is gold in all those so-called bank eras that I have said from the beginning were intentional. I know how they work. Long ago, I was one of them on Wall Street. In fact, my family was Garfield and Company that had seats on all the exchanges. Tonight, we have attorney Stephen P. Wright from Connecticut with us because he and I had some conversation about some real issues that the banks are sweeping under the rug, and he had some special insights 
uh, in connection with uh, foreclosure defense in Connecticut. He has a very impressive resume. Stephen went to Trumbull High School. He went to Florida State University, Western New England College of Law, where he graduated in 1980. So we're not talking about a newcomer in the practice of law. We're talking about a litigator with experience. He is a lecturer in the Commercial Law League of America, a former faculty member of the College of the State Bar in Texas, and a current member of the Connecticut Bar, and previous member of the uh, Texas Bar. He's lectured and written on workouts, collection of judgments, debtor-creditor relations, the UCC, and bankruptcy. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You certainly have a diverse experience in several judicial venues that must have given you some perspective beyond the ordinary lawyer. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Um, I find uh, things are much more traditional up in Connecticut uh, than they were in Texas and in the jurisdictions around Texas that I got an opportunity to practice in. And um, less do you likely have, to... Do, do you have people in Texas that, uh, uh, that are practicing there and are doing foreclosure defense that you could uh, uh, steer my listeners and readers to? In uh, Texas? In Texas, no, I don't, but uh, Texas is a non-judicial foreclosure state. Right, I'm uh, aware. It, we used to call it the posting and toasting. Uh, yes. You put the, post it for 30 days and go down to the courthouse and read off the notice, and nobody would show up, and the property would be transferred to the uh, borrower at that point. Yeah, I know, and there's a very small window of opportunity to file the TRO to prevent the sale. Yeah, um, very, very, very rarely granted. I, Whether they're so more now than they did in the past, I'm not sure, but uh, it was a it was a rare bird when I was uh, practicing down there. Can you give us uh, an overview of how foreclosure? Uh, begins in Connecticut? Yeah, sure. Connecticut is a judicial foreclosure state, so uh, a foreclosure uh, is commenced by starting a lawsuit. Uh, there are preconditions to commencing a lawsuit in Connecticut under a foreclosure, one of which is that you have to comply with the covenants that are in the note and the mortgage. So if it says that you have to give a 30-day notice and the notice has to say certain things, you have to prove that you did that in order to be able to maintain an action. Um, if you have a HUD note, you have to prove that you had that face-to-face -face, uh, uh, conversation with the HUD representative or at least were given an opportunity to do so and declined. Um those are pretty much the preconditions to filing a lawsuit. Uh, once an action has begun, 
Connecticut has uh, one of the better, um, and I say better cautiously because there's, again, precious few remedies for the borrower, but one of the better mediation, court-imposed mediation uh, by Connecticut statute. Uh, if you apply in a timely manner and you qualify, which means the property is your primary residence, it doesn't have more than four units, and its value is uh, less than $725,000, uh, if you apply at time, you're automatically in. Um, that gives you an opportunity to negotiate with the lenders under the uh, guidance of court employees who are trained as mediators that try to resolve that. And uh, Connecticut uh, has resolved about 70% of their uh, foreclosure actions uh, through mediation other than through by way of foreclosure. How do you so, deal in, in mediation or settlement uh, with what we are loosely calling lenders, when you know that the so-called lenders are actually strangers to the borrower and, in fact, as many studies have now shown, the San Francisco study, uh, the Baltimore and, and others, that it, at least two-thirds of the cases, they are actually complete strangers to the transaction. How do you settle with a stranger to the transaction who is pretending? Um, that's a very good you. question. Yeah, and, um, well, one of the things that Connecticut makes the lender do is sign a document uh, representing that it, in fact, is the lender or the party uh, that has authority to settle this case. So Are you allowed to make that represent? Are you allowed Excuse to me? pursue that that in, in discovery in Connecticut? Yes. If that turns out to be untrue, that's uh, a big problem for the, the lender, particularly if they go through the uh, – make you go through the mediation process and then just decline you, and then it's later found out that they never had any authority to make a deal or um, uh, modify the note in the first place. Yeah, I actually had a uh, a case, uh, in fact, to have a motion for sanctions pending, uh, where the lawyer showed up at mediation, and we announced our appearances, and the lawyer shows up and says, um, I'll, I'll just use XYZ instead of the name of the servicer, um, but she said, you know, I represent XYZ, and I said, well, uh, then you also represent the trust and the trustee. She said, I represent XYZ. Yeah. I said, well, wait a minute. Are you saying you don't represent <clears throat> the plaintiff? She said, I represent XYZ. So yeah. that was the end of mediation because the plaintiff wasn't present and I filed a motion. And I'm seeing more and more of that kind of thing crop up. We had a case some years back in Florida where the lawyer admitted that he never had a single conversation with anybody representing the uh, uh, the plaintiff trustee bank. Uh, 
um, yeah. and sanctions were levied. Uh, yeah, well, Maine is Maine is particularly strong on that. Maine will dismiss your suit with prejudice uh, for uh, egregious uh, disregard of the mediation statute, and they're doing it quite often. Uh, you know, more often than most states, and that's, uh, that's you know that's a pretty okay. that's a pretty good hammer to get the banks to stand up and pay attention. Hopefully, I, uh, it would seem that it would be. Yeah, you know, we uh, uh, we were talking, and I realized that on this program we have referred to something called a short sale, but I'm not sure that I ever described what it was. Uh, in Connecticut, how does that work? Uh, Connecticut, it, it works as follows: the um, buyer proposes a short sale to the lender or the servicer, whoever, whatever party may be uh, at the uh, negotiation. Um, the borrower at that point uh, engages a real estate agent who gives a broker's value of opinion and then submits a contract that's subject to the mortgagee's approval and they've got to go pretty much through the same process that you would go through um, if you were trying to modify your mortgage. That is, you have to fill out the uh, mortgage assistance uh, paperwork and, you know, the <clears throat> the, the DOD, the, uh, whatever, the DOD, Frank, Dodd-Frank Act paperwork and, and uh, you know, financial information regarding pay stubs and banks and so forth and uh then they consider the action um uh, the problem is is they take an unusually long amount of time to make a decision sometimes up to 6 months and most bar, most yeah, buyers why, do you have any idea why it takes so long for them to approve a short sale? I mean, I've seen that for the last 10 years. No idea whatsoever, and I've asked. I've asked, and you know you know the answer you're going to get. Uh, well, we got to go through the investor, which is a, a buzzword for uh, the Wizard of Oz. Right, uh, yeah. We've already established in, in virtually every case where we were able to or were allowed to inquire uh that they they never contacted any investor they never let them know that there was a settlement modification short sale or anything going on no which you know is one of the uh benefits of the arbitration process in Connecticut because they stay on the lender to you know follow that up like you know where where are we in the process why is this taking so long what are you looking for are you missing any paperwork uh now that you've got all the paperwork how much more time do you need and somebody is required to either be in attendance from the bank or the servicer or on the telephone so that those representations uh can be made uh Directly by the by the lender or servicer instead of by the attorney speaking through the 
the lender or servicer. So um, they kind of hold their feet to the fire. Before I forget, uh, if somebody wants to contact you, uh, what telephone number would they use? Um, They can call my office phone number, which is 203-261-3050, or they can call my cell phone, which is 203-218-6395. You might put yourself in the position of Lindsey Graham with your cell phone, but uh, if you get too many of the calls, you you might get another cell phone. That's all right. Um, Uh, And my um, email is uh, S as in Steve, P as in Peter, Wright Law Firm at gmail.com. All right. Well, uh, people will be able to uh, to find that uh, easily uh, just by coming back to the uh, Blog Talk Radio site, and they can listen to this uh, broadcast again or for the first time. Um, Stephen, how, how do you deal? I mean, this process of a loan being subject to claims of securitization, which in virtually all cases are false claims, you get a client comes into you and says, I don't understand. I don't know who this person is that's suing, this company is that's suing me for foreclosure. I didn't borrow any money from them. Mm. How do you deal yeah. with that? Well, the the first thing you try to do is try to explain a process which, uh, you know, is pretty difficult to understand even as a lawyer because uh, it has a uh, large element of fiction to it. Uh, So you try to get them to understand what's going on there, and then you explain to them that, whomever they're dealing with that they you know they should deal with somebody because the foreclosure is going to move forward and uh if they don't they're going to be on the wrong end of the stick and they could very well have a good uh a good defense and uh particularly that type of defense where the the servicer is really not the servicer or the servicer is alleging to be the holder when it's not. And, uh, you know, we've kind of gone through a um, uh, a process here in Connecticut. You know, they started off uh, when this first all began uh, alleging that they were the owner and the holder. And then people caught on to that, so then they just became the holder. And then people caught on to that, and then they became the servicer by virtue of being the trustee of a certain trust and so on and so forth. And so they've gone through the, and I imagine there's going to be two or three more stages before it all gets settled down uh, and resolved. Because as you said before, and uh, time and time again has proven that to be true, it, it, it is fiction. It's not. It isn't really what happened, and uh, they're trying to make it up as they go along. Well, they—they that's exactly what they have done. 
how do they deal with robo signing in in Connecticut? Not as well as you would think they would. Uh, you would think that a judge would be incensed over that type of practice, and um, and they are incensed with it when it's the last signature on the um, you know on the uh, blank endorsement. But uh, when it's somewhere in the in the chain of endorsements, as long as the last one lines up, uh, they kind of overlook it. And uh, I, how they do that, I really don't know. Um, I always thought that if you uh, defrauded a court, you defrauded a court, and whether it was in the beginning of the process or the end of the process, it was something that was dealt with rather harshly and quite properly so. Uh, but they look for ways around it. And, uh, you know, they, they, they buy into that, um, uh, for, well, to use a legal term, crap, about uh, how uh, this particular person gave a power of attorney to everybody in the company. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's just really not my understanding of how powers of attorneys work, and I don't think it was anybody's understanding prior to uh, this happening. Yeah, well, if the transaction was real, they wouldn't need a power of attorney. They'd just need the standard uh, right. endorsement, uh, assignment, and, and proof of payment. That would be it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Connecticut, the... Uh, I think you've alluded to it. Uh, the doctrine of standing has, uh, which is a jurisdictional que question, appears to have been relaxed, which is a word that you use and I guess I've used too. Um, it, it, it seems like a bizarre notion to relax the concept that only somebody who has who is an injured party or who represents the injured party who is disclosed uh, could bring a lawsuit. And yet we've seen in many states, including Connecticut, that that doctrine is not uh, uh, that basic uh, threshold question for any lawsuit uh, is being ignored. Uh, would you agree with that in Connecticut? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, what could be more clear than the concept of aggrievement? I mean, if you do something that causes me harm, you have a cause of action. If you do something that causes somebody else harm, you don't have a cause of action. And, uh, you know, it's really just that simple. And, um, to allow uh, entities to bring actions without really showing that they've been harmed or that they're, uh, you know, pretending to be harmed by standing in the shoes of somebody uh, whose shoes don't fit uh, is really uh, a bizarre concept. I mean, it's it's really they've really tortured that, and it's gonna it's gonna come back and bite them. I mean, it's gonna. It's going to show up in other areas, like we all know it does, and it's it's going to they're going to have to rewrite the whole thing. And 
in order to avoid results that they don't want to have happen. Right now, they're particularly happy with the results because it's it's ending up in foreclosure, which they find palatable because somehow they feel if you don't pay your note, it really doesn't matter who you owe the money to. Um, and that's the you know that's the essence of agreement. I mean, you know, you, you got to prove that you're the party that's been harmed. Stephen P. Wright in Connecticut. The Wright is spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. You can yeah. contact him uh, over the uh, the web, email, or phone, as he indicated. Stephen, thank you for being on the show. I would like very much to have you back, and I it's a pleasure having an experienced litigator. Well, Neil, it's been my pleasure always to talk to you, and uh, let me just say on behalf of myself and all of us that are fighting this uh, uphill battle, we uh, certainly do appreciate somebody like you who uh, takes the time and the effort to try to bring some sense to uh, what is really nonsense. Thank you very much. Good night, folks. See you next week. Good night. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.